Why do you suppose people go to court to have their names changed? Or why do you think parents sometimes agonize over the choice of the name that they're going to give to their child? Why do you think people long and adopt a nickname that's given to them, sometimes by their peers, because they don't like their name. Some of you present this morning probably have transitioned from being known as Bobby to being known as Bob or Robert, or Jack rather than Jackie. Two of my closest friends growing up were Bobby and Jackie, and now I have to catch myself when I'm speaking to them to make sure I don't offend them in their adulthood by calling them the way I knew them as boys and as young men, actually. Well, the reason for that is that names matter to people. In the Bible, names have probably a greater significance than the names that we give even to our own children. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 22, Verse 1, that a good name is more to be desired than great wealth. The name is representative in Scripture of the, not only the identity of the person, but the character of the person. When we see God changing the name of Abram to Abraham, Abraham meaning the father of many nations, it was a fitting name, it was a great name, and It is a name that's great in the minds of God's people even unto this day. Also, we think about the son of Abraham and Sarah. Of course, he was a long time coming, but the year before he actually was born, there was a visitation by the angel of the Lord and two other angels to the dwelling of Abraham and Isaac. Do you remember... Abraham and Sarah, excuse me, do you remember what those two did when they heard this news? Particularly Sarah. She was listening, eavesdropping on the conversation that her husband Abram was having with these angels. And she laughed at the suggestion that she, at the age of 89, at the time of the visitation, would become a mother of a child. And so when the baby was born, Isaac, you know what Isaac means? Laughter is what it means. And certainly it brought great joy to their hearts. We're not sure what the laughter of Sarah was all about the first time, but we can be sure when the baby was born, it was very joyful for her. And then the grandchild of this man named Laughter, Isaac, the grandson, the twelfth son of his son Jacob, was a baby whose birth caused the death of his mother, Rachel. And knowing that she was going to die, do you remember what she named him initially? Ben-Oni, which translated means the son of my sorrow. Jacob very wisely changed the child's name to Benjamin, the son of my right hand, because it would have been quite a burden for that boy to bear, even into adulthood, knowing that it was his birth that caused the death of his mother. But there's no name that is greater in Scripture than the name of Jesus. You probably know that in the book of Matthew, we are told that an angel came to Joseph and gave him strict instructions as to what the Christ's name would be. You shall call his name Jesus... Because he will take away, he will save his people from their sins. And that certainly was the M.O. of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to look at some of the names prophesied about the one whom we know as Jesus in the ninth chapter of the book of Isaiah. It's the verse of the week for the church to be pondering at this time of the year. So let's read beginning with verse 6 and read all the way to the end of verse 7. This will serve as the passage for the morning message. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. 
And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. These names are awesome names. I'm not going into great detail except on one of the names, the first name, Wonderful Counselor. I'll come back to that. But look at the other names which would be characteristic and give us insight into the nature and character of this Messiah, Mighty God. Actually, this is a combination of the word for God, El, in Hebrew, and Gibor, which means warrior, the mighty warrior, the powerful God. This is the one who would carry forth the, not only the message, but the conquest of all rebellious kingdoms in rebellion against the kingdom of God. The next name, Eternal Father, one wonders how the Messiah could be at one and the same time the Son of God and the Father of those who know Him, the Eternal Father. And the answer to that question is to be found in the fact that the idea of Father was the one who was the originator of. And so, Jesus, being fully God, was a participant in the origination of even eternity, if you will. So, He is the eternal Father in that sense. And the Prince of Peace. This is one of my favorite names of Jesus because of what it means to us in our personal lives. Next week, we will look more specifically and give more time to the idea of Jesus as the fulfillment of this prophecy regarding the Messiah as the Prince of Peace. But let's look at this. The Wonderful Counselor. And He is indeed wonderful. But let's begin with the idea of the Counselor. And think about our need for a counsel, counselor. There are literally tens of millions of dollars spent annually in the United States of America to pay for the services of a counselor. Jesus, I would submit to you with no negative remarks about people who might be present who are counselors. We'll get to that a little bit later in the message. But however, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. This word wonderful is used 14 times in the Old Testament in reference to a human being. It is used 54 times in the Old Testament with reference to God. When it's used in reference to God, it's speaking of that which can only be done and explained by the work of God. So it speaks of that which is supernatural. So we could use the word supernatural in front of the name counselor. A supernatural counselor. Some of you have resorted to a counselor in hopes that that counselor can do for you what you need. And you are hoping for a miracle in that. Well, the Lord Himself is that wonderful counselor who can bring to pass the fulfillment of the need which you have in your life. The word counselor suggests this about Jesus. First of all, we know that Jesus' counsel is necessary for us. The reason for that, and there are many reasons for that, the first of which is because our hearts are sinful. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that our hearts are desperately sick. Who can understand it? The best human counselor cannot peer into the depths of our hearts to see what is actually causing the problem of heart sickness in our lives. But we know that because Jesus is the mighty God, He is the all-knowing God, the eternal Father. Then He can do the work of helping us to overcome whatever heartache we have in our hearts. A second reason that Jesus 
is necessary as our counselor is because our minds are severely limited. Isaiah 55, 8 says as much. God speaks and he said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now, thank God for a mind. Thank God for the power to cultivate the mind so that we can better serve the Lord in the world. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our minds. But even the most brilliant, most well-developed mind represented in this room this morning still has deficiencies. And the Lord is in the process of transforming our minds once we receive Jesus Christ into our lives. In the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, we hear God say this to us through His Word. God says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know the word transformed would be closely related to our word that we use when an engine or a motor of a car is redone? We, said it's, we say it's being overhauled. Well, we need an overhaul in our minds. Often, I've heard skeptics say about us who are followers of Jesus that we are just brainwashed. And that kind of raises my hackles, or it used to at least, until I began to think about it. And I said, you know, that's true. We need to have our brains washed. The Bible talks about this in the book of Ephesians when it talks about how a wife is to have her heart set apart by her husband as an intermediary between God and her to help her with encouragement to be a woman of the Word of God. That presupposes that the man himself would be a man who is after the Word of God and the heart and mind of God. And the Bible says that we as husbands are to wash the minds of our wives with the Word of God in the same manner that Jesus Christ does that for us. So we do need our minds to be transformed, don't we? And the way to do that is to come to Jesus because it is He who is the great counselor. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and His ways than our ways. And after we are born again, our minds need to be washed by the water of the Word of God. Here's a third reason why Jesus' counsel is necessary is because of the pressures of the world. And Romans 12.1 again says, Stop being conformed to this world. I like J.B. Phillips' paraphrase of that. He says it this way, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And the world is hyperactive in that area. It's seeking to conform us to its way of life. In the book of 1 John, John talks about the various aspects of the world. The lust of the flesh, that would be things that are part of God's design for us in the physical realm, which we are tempted and sometimes actually take the bait to exercise outside the parameters, the borders, which God has put around that kind of need that is a natural need which He builds into us as human beings. The lust of the eyes. That's wanting things that other people have for ourselves. It's the same as the last of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. So that's another aspect of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. This is the one that I wrestle with more than the other two, but it doesn't mean I don't wrestle with those. But this is the one to want to really boast about my accomplishments, to win the praise of men. And I think it's the most undermining of all the aspects of the world. And you may remember that the God of this world is none other than the devil himself. And he is the ruler of the world. The whole world lies under the control of the evil one. That is the world system. And what got him booted out of heaven, by the way? What was it? His pride, wasn't it? He led a a rebellion, a hostile takeover attempt that, thank God, failed. Was destined to fail from the beginning. But we are people who feel the pressures of the world. 
And on the heels of that, this could be the flip side of what I've just said, but let's look at it as a fourth reason that the counsel of Jesus is necessary is because the enemy of our souls. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to the gospel of the glory of Christ. The devil is all about trying to obscure our vision of reality and obscure our understanding of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. So we see why we need Jesus to counsel us, to move us away from thinking the way the ruler of this world would have us to think. In 2 Corinthians 11, the Bible says about the devil in verse 14 that he is one who masquerades as an angel of light. Because of the enemy of our souls, we need the counsel of the Lord. Here's the last reason I'm going to suggest. You could probably think of many more why we need Jesus as our counsel, counselor. It's because Jesus has a specific plan for each of us. This is so encouraging. And Psalm 139, 16 rather, I didn't put the word Psalm before 139, my bad. Please forgive me for not doing that. You know that there's not 139 chapters. I hope you know that in Jeremiah. But the Bible says something remarkable. It says, before one of the days of my life had been lived, all of them were written in the book of the Lord. I don't know exactly all about that book. That's a figure of speech, of course. Maybe not. Maybe there's an actual book in heaven. But God knew what He was going to do with me today. Sometimes I don't know what God's going to do with me on a Sunday. I hope He does something every week. But sometimes He doesn't because... I'm at fault, not because he's at fault. But he knows the plans he has for us, Jeremiah 29, 11. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give us a future and a hope. That's in the general. Generally, that's true of us who know the Lord. But it's specifically designed. God has a specific plan. I'm a big believer in this. I know God is in charge of my life. Yesterday, I was driving from my home to the office here on the grounds of the church. And there are two routes which I take. And I was thinking, well, I'll take my ordinary route, even though it's a little longer in time, probably closer in miles, a little longer in time, I'll take it because there's not as much traffic on Saturday. But then I said, oh, there's probably a benefit in going the other way, so I turned up Wrestler, and I went up to Mesa. I turned this direction. I came down to, I believe the street is Fountain. You know where the firehouse is there on the corner and Spectrum's on the other corner? And I turned there, and I've come up that a lot of times. I've been up that road a thousand times probably in the last 24 years. And there's a stop sign. You know, when you get on there and you come up, you round the curve, there's a stop sign. I know it's there. I came to it, and I thought I stopped. But I must have made a California stop. You know what I'm talking about? So I just must have rolled on through, and I was not far out of the intersection. I was not speeding. I know that. At my age, 25 is tops for me, okay? So I'm moving up the road, and I see the red and blue lights behind me. I said, okay. So I pulled over. And before the officer got to my car, I had the window down. I'd fished out my driver's license, and I didn't remember that he would want my proof of insurance. It's been 29 years since I'd had a moving violation. I just want you to know I've been a good boy. But he came to me and said, Mr. Woods, as he looked at my license, he says, Did you know that there was a stop sign back there? I said, Yes, sir, officer. I, I do know that it's back there. And he said, well, you didn't come to a complete stop at the stop sign. So I said, if you say so, officer, I didn't. 
And he said, may I have your proof of insurance? I got that, gave it to him. And he took it back to the car. He's a very nice young man. And I had, I was just thinking about it. Why in the world, Lord, did you let me come up here? This is going to cost me about a hundred bucks. You know, I'm going to blame God for that, of course. But he, know, he knows the plans he has for me, plans for welfare and for calamity. And it's not what you think, maybe. You think he's going to come back and have pity on an old man and say, I'm just going to give you a warning. That did not happen, okay? <laughs> that did not happen. But as he was going back, I thought, Lord, you probably allowed this to happen to me so I could share a witness with this man. And I'm glad to violate the law. In order to do that. (laughs) So I had a copy of a tract, The Four Spiritual Laws. And the young man came back and he gave me my license back, driver's license. He gave me the proof of insurance back. And I said, thank you, officer. I always thank an officer when I'm pulled over. It's only been three times in my life, so I haven't had a lot of opportunity to do it. But so I said, thank you, officer. And I'd like to give this to you. And this will tell you how you could have eternal life. And I really encourage you to read this. Well, we'll, only eternity will reveal if that young man, he may have already been a Christian, I don't know. But only eternity will reveal if he was touched by the Lord through that encounter. I pray that he would. Pray that he would come to know Jesus. He'd read the beautifully written little document, and if he's not a saved man, he would come to know Jesus. But God's in the details. Some people say the devil is in the details. Hogwash. God is in the details of our lives. And we need his counsel for his specific plan for our lives. Okay, let's move on. We see, first of all, that Jesus is a necessary counselor. Here's the second thing we see. Jesus is a qualified counselor. And the reason is very clear. It's because Jesus is God. Look back at our passage of Scripture for a moment. The Scripture says in verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Isn't that interesting? A child will be born. This speaks of the humanity of Christ. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But the idea of a son given to us, who sent Jesus To us. God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Isn't that awesome to think about? That God would care enough about you and me, God the Father, to send His Son. And He was no ordinary person. In fact, He's the unique person of the universe. In His humanity, He's unique because He's never sinned. In His other nature, he has a dual nature, not half God, half man, fully God, fully man. This is the message of the Gospel of John. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the writer goes on to say that the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has interpreted Exegeted is actually the word. He has interpreted God to us. Jesus is God. When approached by Philip, one of his apostles, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And you remember what the response of Jesus, I would say he sighed. He was just sort of frustrated, but I can't say that. It was not a sinful frustration if there was any at all. But Jesus says, have I been so long with you? And yet you have not come to know me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So the reality is that he is God. Unto us a son is given. He knows everything about us. I like the thought of a counselor who would have that kind of knowledge. This is the eternal God in whom dwells all the fullness of of the Godhead in bodily form is what Paul writes in Colossians 2.9. And in Christ, listen carefully, in Christ all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden 
And we have been hidden in Christ if we know Jesus. So, by virtue of our being in Christ, we have access to this wisdom. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Paul writes that Jesus Christ, among other things, is our wisdom. We need wisdom. Human knowledge is incomplete in terms of understanding what goes on in the human heart. But God, in the person of Jesus Christ, He is the one who gives us insight. Thank God for giving us His Son. He is God. Jesus is. But He's also human. Here's the second thing. Unto us a child is born. Quite frankly, this is the most enjoyable time of the year for me, Christmas. One might say that Easter should be, or the resurrection era should be, because that's really the basic doctrine of salvation when you get right down to it. Christ could have died, but He had not been raised from the dead. Our salvation would not have happened, according to the Scripture. But I've thought about this in the Incarnation. Were it not for the Incarnation that God did indeed become human, fully human in the person of Jesus, if the Incarnation had not occurred, well, we wouldn't have a Savior because He had to be one of us. This is what the virgin birth is all about because the sin of humanity in every one of our lives, we were born with a sinful nature. This is what the Bible says in the book of Romans and in the book of Psalms, the 51st Psalm. And guess where the sin comes from? From our father Adam and all those males down the line. We know Eve is the one who sinned, but Adam was held responsible, evidently because he overheard the conversation that the serpent had with her, and he could have stopped it, but he didn't. So, the virgin birth was required for Jesus to be without original sin. Remembering that the Holy Spirit sired Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He is human. He understands us. Even the finest human counselor does not understand everything that's going on in your life. Perhaps you've gone to a counselor with a great burden in your heart, and there came a point when you, if you didn't say it, you thought it, and you probably said it, You just don't understand me. Well, that cannot be said about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says we do not have a high priest who cannot understand. Really, it's the word sympathize. The word sympathy comes from the Greek word that is translated understand or sympathize with our weakness. But one who has been tempted in every way as we have yet without sin. Jesus understands your problem. He understands your spiritual problem. He understands your psychological problem. He's the one who understands everything about you. And it took Him becoming a human to really understand it experientially. He had understanding intellectually, of course, before He became a human being. He's God. Here's the third thing qualifies Jesus as a counselor. He loves us. In the book of John fifteen seventeen, the Scripture says, Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus was unashamed to announce His love for you and for me. He was not one who found it awkward to say, I love you. He didn't overdo it, I'm sure, but it was who He was, because He's God, He is love, and He loved to express that. Now, you may have a counselor who loves you, but most counselors are taught when they're being trained, most licensed professional counselors are taught not to get involved in emotionally with their clients. Why? Because it will not allow them to be objective in the way in which they suggest a solution to the problem that the client is dealing with. Well, Jesus 
has no inhibition about that. And Jesus loves us. Isn't it nice to know that Jesus is a qualified counselor? He's a wonderful counselor for us. A fourth thing, he's qualified as a counselor because he encourages us. I need encouragement. Do you need encouragement? And there's one person to whom you and I can go for encouragement, and it's just perfect every time. The Bible says all things that were written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And we know the Spirit of God authored the Scripture, but we know the subject of the Scripture is always the person of Christ. So in a sense, Christ gives us example of how we are to conduct our lives. He interprets life for us, and He's our encourager. On a night which would have been the least likely night for Jesus to encourage his closest friends. We know them as the apostles. Do you know what Jesus said to them as he looked at them and they had just heard that he was leaving them? They were distressed. They had banked everything on following Jesus. They had given up everything. They felt probably betrayed in a way. They were thinking, why, Lord? Why are you leaving us? Don't you know we need you, Lord? And then what does Jesus say in John 14, verse 1? Stop letting your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Earlier in the book of John, conversation between Jesus and his apostles, he makes a statement about the Word of God. He says, the Scripture, the Word of God is spirit and life. And then a little later, when he was engaging more directly with the leader of the apostles, Peter, and he says, are you going to leave me too, Peter? Are you going to? Now, the background of that is, you know, that there had been this mass exodus of people whom Christ had fed, over 5,000 people had fed, and Jesus didn't want to become king, and they just left as quickly as they had appeared. And what does Peter say to the question, are you going to leave me too? And what does Peter say? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Certainly. So he encourages us with the words of life. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Here's another thing that qualifies Jesus as our counselor. He is patient with us. This is not always true of human counselors. I must confess there have been times when I've lost patience with people whom I have been seeking to give direction to at their request. And Jesus is incredibly patient with us. Psalm 86.15 says this about our God. O Lord... God of mercy and grace. Listen to this. Long-suffering. You know what long-suffering is? It's patience that doesn't grow thin. It keeps on keeping on. And this is our Lord. He is the long-suffering one. Abundant, Psalm 86, 15 goes on to say, in loving kindness and truth. So our Lord Jesus is this kind of patient counselor. He also, the sixth thing under his qualifications, is he prays for us. I don't know who your counselor might be. If you go to a licensed professional counselor out in the public, chances are that person might be a believer. I hope so. But if that person isn't a believer, that person is not going to pray for you. If he or she does pray for you, his or her prayers are not heard because God does not hear the prayers of those who do not know Jesus because it's through Jesus that our prayers are heard. But Jesus is interceding for us even now, praying for us. This is a wonderful counselor, isn't he? Here's the last thing. 
under his qualification as a counselor. Because he focuses his attention on us. This is one thing no human counselor can do in the way in which Jesus does. In Psalm 32, 8, the Bible says, God speaks, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. That's singular. I will instruct you, Mike Woods, and I will teach you, Mike Woods, in the way you should go. And here's where it really gets awesome here. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. And he loves us. And he knows what's going on. He surveys us. He watches out for us. Just like you and I have looked out for our children and our grandchildren, our wives, our husbands. Why? Because we love them. And that's the way Jesus is related to us. What a counselor. Do you think he's qualified to be your counselor? Well, be about learning how that works, which leads us to the third thing about Jesus. Jesus is certainly a necessary counselor because of the condition of our hearts. He is a qualified counselor because he's human fully and fully God, but he is also an available counselor. Isaiah 7, 14, talking about the virgin birth. What is the last word in Isaiah 7, 14? It's the name that the Messiah will have, Emmanuel. God is with us. So, He is qualified because He's available. He's with us. And Paul talks about the nearness of the Lord in the book of Philippians. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident. To all, the Lord is near. So you don't have to be anxious. The Lord is near. You don't have to be negative because the presence of the person whose thoughts are always true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. These are characteristics of the mind of Christ. And He's not simply near. He's with us. He's not simply with us, but He indwells us. By His Spirit. What a wonderful thought. It's true. Psalm four, Isaiah rather 41.10, verse A, the part of it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do you believe that? Some of you are racked with fear. You're paranoid, maybe, almost. But the good news is, if you go to Jesus and you embrace Him, as your Lord and as your Savior. If you give your life to Christ, what happens is amazing. He is with you and He's in you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's available as a counselor through His Word. Psalm 119, verse 24. It's a great verse. In the last part of it says, Your testimonies are my counselors. The testimonies of God, that's another way of saying, your words are my counselor. So God gives us His Word. Jesus gives us His Word. And He counsels us through His Word. May I pause here just a moment? I am a person who is fully committed to the matter of making disciples of Jesus Christ. I am not satisfied with the idea of simply making converts. I can't make a convert. I really don't have the power to make a disciple. But I can join with Jesus in helping people come to know Christ and then be with Him in the process of helping people become disciples. Listen carefully. The quickest way to not need a human counselor is to become a disciple of Christ. Because the idea of disciple is the idea of someone who is a lifelong follower and learner after Christ. Do you know the word for disciple means learner? learner? 
We're to learn from Him. When Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you shall find rest for your souls. That sounds like a counselor, doesn't it? You shall find rest for your souls. He says, Take my yoke upon you, which means submit to Him. That's what a disciple is. Someone who is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Submit to Him. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Perhaps you're aware of the fact that the verb translated learn is the word from which the word disciple is derived. It's in the same family. So that statement could be translated this way. Take my yoke upon you and be discipled by me. The way we get discipled by Christ is to submit to Him. Team up with Him. And I know this to be true. I know that when people are growing in discipleship, and that simply means listening to the Lord. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 50, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. Morning by morning, He wakens me to listen so that I may hear like a disciple. Look, you and I have this incredible privilege, first of all, of having access to God. Secondly, for His speaking to us and teaching us, He will give you what you need and you will become counseled. And I'm not trying to play an imaginary game here. You will be counseled by Jesus and He will preempt a lot of the problems that we have in our lives if we will just listen to Him and let Him be our counselor. He's highly qualified, wouldn't you agree? And we certainly need His counsel. No doubt. And the Word of God is what He uses. Also, His counsel is available through the Holy Spirit. In the ninth chapter of Isaiah, there is this description of the Messiah. Actually, we're in the ninth chapter. It's the eleventh chapter. Excuse me. It should be eleven two instead of nine two. There. That's again a mistake I have made. So in verse two of Isaiah eleven, regarding the coming Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The spirit of counsel and strength. Wisdom and understanding. We go to counselors because we need wisdom and understanding. And we hope for it. We hope for insight. We hope for a fix of whatever is ailing us. Jesus is the one who's certainly available. And He's available through His Word and also available through His Spirit if we trust Him for that because He has this Spirit We see it there in the 11th chapter. And then the last thing that makes Jesus an available counselor is he's available through his people. The good news is we have a lot of Christian counselors around. Some of them don't have a professional degree, but that does not disqualify them. The Bible would indicate to us in the book of 1 Timothy, actually, that we who know Christ are to participate in counseling one another. And how are we to do it? Through the Word of God, in dependence upon the Spirit of God. And when people come to me for counseling, I say up front, I have a presupposition. The presupposition is that the Bible is the Word of God and that the answers to all the problems in life are to be found in the Scriptures. And if that doesn't sit well with you, it won't offend me if you say, I don't want to come and talk to you about this anymore. And I'll tell them, now, I'm going to hopefully tell you exactly what the Bible says about what you're dealing with and the answer that God would give for that. And it's not formulaic. I don't mean that. It's a dynamic kind of relationship that a person who is a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God and filled with the Word of God has with that person that she or he may be counseling. But it's something that Jesus makes possible. And He counsels through His Word, through His Spirit, through His people. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, In the abundance of counselors, there is 
The word victory is used by the New American Standard Bible, but actually it's the word deliverance. Don't you need deliverance when you need a counselor? Something's burdening you. And the good news is that the Lord gives us that deliverance through His people. Be on the lookout. You be a disciple maker. Be a disciple first. You can't make disciples if you're not a disciple. Be a disciple. And then be a disciple maker. And spend time with the Master, the wonderful Counselor, every day. And luxuriate in His counsel. Every day you have this privilege, if you know Jesus, to come before Him. And He will be your Counselor. Believe me, He will do it. He will never send you down the wrong path. So, in practical terms, let's ask the question and seek answers to what you must do to get Jesus' counsel. First of all, you must seek Jesus' counsel for yourself. You've got to pursue Christ. So, if you're not in the habit of seeking Christ, Remember what the Word of God says in the book of Amos, chapter 5. It says, seek me, God speaking, and live. You are penalizing yourself if you don't seek God because you're cutting yourself off from the possibility of life as God would intend it to be for you. So the first thing we do is seek the counsel of Jesus for ourselves. The second thing is, that you must wait patiently for Jesus' counsel. Now, this is hard for me to do sometimes, and it is for you too, I would imagine. Isaiah 28, 16. I'm going to read it. Make a brief comment on this. Isaiah 28, 16. It says this. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Do you know what the word disturbed is? I don't know why the New American Standard translates it this way. This is what the word literally means. Will not be in a hurry. So when you come to be counseled by the Lord, enjoy the journey with the Lord. This is one of the reasons God permits trouble in your life. To put you in a place where you come to Him and He loves being with you. And you don't need to get in a hurry. You need to wait on the Lord patiently for His counsel. Here's the third thing. You must accept Jesus' counsel. This is not rocket science, is it? The reason I asked for the reading of Jeremiah 42 and part of 43 was to illustrate this, how this group of leaders of the Jewish people came to the prophet Jeremiah. They knew he was a man of God, a prophet. And they said, inquire of the Lord, and whatever you receive from the Lord, whether good or bad, we will do it. Did you get that as we read through that passage of Scripture? Whatever God says to you, we'll do it. And then the message which Jeremiah delivered was not palatable to them. They didn't like it. And what did they say? You're prophesying a lie. So they didn't like it. Look, if you come to the Lord for counsel, take it, accept it, embrace it, because we have a tendency to want God to think the way we think instead of adjusting to the way he thinks about that which he would counsel us. And then the last thing is, you must obey. We can say we accept the counsel of the Lord, but we must obey the counsel of the Lord. Well, let's go back to chapter 9 of Isaiah as we quit, finish this morning. Let's look at it from the top. Verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. Now let's stop there. Look at verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Think about this. The Messiah was going to be the one 
upon whom the government of the world would be placed. And Jesus is equal to the task. He's better than the task. And what we see here is that the Messiah had another job to do before he got the governance of the entire world upon his shoulders. His kingdom is not of this world, is what Jesus said. And what happened, Isaiah 40, 53 rather, talks about the suffering servant, the Messiah, how he had to die and take all the wrath of God upon himself so we could know him. And before he could wear the crown of a king, he had to wear a crown of thorns. Before he could shoulder the governments of the world upon his shoulders, he had to shoulder a cross to Calvary where he died for you and for me. This is a great counselor we have in the Lord Jesus. He did not spare himself any stress, any strain, because he was willing to endure the cross for the joy which was set before him, the joy being you're coming to know God through him, my coming to know God through him. This is what Christmas is all about. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. And here's the good news as we finish. And of His fullness, the fullness of Christ, we have how many received? All received. And grace upon grace. This is who we are. And this is who He is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's also our personal counselor. And he loves to counsel you and me. And we neglect his counsel to our own demise and our own hurt. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the season when we celebrate the birth of your son, our Savior and Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being our counselor. I pray for people who are here today who are desperately in need of a counselor. They've exhausted their resources in some cases to get counsel. And Lord, we know you're the counselor who can address every need that person has. We pray that she or he would get that counsel from you through your word, by the Spirit, and through your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.